Don't panic. Don't overreact. Don't shoot from the hip in this kind of a situation. This is the safari. All right, guys. So this is a an impromptu gathering. All of you um, here on the phone, thanks a lot for doing this. Uh, because I realized, um, speaking to each of you today, that inside uh, our company and our, uh, our partnership and, and strong alliance with uh, Billy uh, Sussman over at Threadstone, that I had uh, three experts on various different elements of running a brand, running a business. Um, and today we were all talking about what it takes and what will be helpful in the world today, given that we are all in uncharted territory. We are all obviously trying to navigate our own businesses, let alone our clients' businesses, and then trying to see how we can be helpful in general. So on the phone call, as I mentioned, we have Bill Sussman, the, the founder of Threadstone uh, Advisors, an investment bank who has been on the safari before and understands and uh, really is a, a really quite rare breed when it comes to a financial expert in the banking field who really understands brand, understands the, the plumbing of these businesses. And so when it comes to whether it be financial restructuring or M&A and everything in between, um, he is really one of the the great minds in this. We also have my partner, uh, Jeff Lurie, and as well as Joe Ahern, a managing director at Traub uh, Consulting. And uh, Jeffrey Lurie, to remind you, has been a turnaround expert and optimization ninja for his whole career, having turned around the North Face in a dire time for that company uh, and sold it to uh, VF Corp, which is now, I think, the cornerstone or one of the cornerstones of that of that business, um, and really has seen the ups and downs of not just businesses, but businesses within the cycles that we all experience and some of the worst cycles, and not to mention the one we're going through right now. Uh, and Joe Ahern, having been the CEO of Toy Biz and Marvel uh, and many other businesses uh, on behalf of many of the great entrepreneurs uh, and family offices that have been sort of captains of industry and uh, used Joe to really help build and, and, and fix those companies. Um, there is a, you know, a quorum here that I think as I asked the questions for myself, I figured it would be good to share them um, with, with all of you. And um, so I'll start with Jeff because, you know, obviously the, the optimization of any business uh, is difficult in the best of times. And I think what we'd like to talk about today is to try and sort of get each of your views on how to how to, how to, you know, what, are, what is practical advice? What, what things can people take away? What are the five things we need to do, um, you know, now um, when we're dealing with a, a situation like this, but also try and think about, you know, operational restructuring, financial restructuring, the nexus between the two, uh, which we'll get to as well. But so each of you, I mean, talk a little bit about, you know, your histories and where you've seen things like this and, and what are some of the, the tips, um, tips of the trade. Thank you, Modi. And let me just say that I'm very pleased to share this podcast 
Bill and Joe and yourself. Um, and uh, hopefully uh, we'll be able to come up with some things and some tips that might be useful. Um, clearly, in uh, times like this, and hardly any of us have ever seen anything as critical and as fast-moving as the situation that we deal with today. Uh, so what I, what I would say is, if I were to advise or to work with a company today, uh, I would imagine that the management of the company are in some state of of concern or panic. And so the first thing I would do would be to try to say, number one, don't panic. Uh, number two, don't overreact. Uh, don't uh, shoot from the hip about things that you might want to do. Take a little bit of time uh, and plan what you're going to look at. And as a practical matter, the first thing that every one of these companies would look at is what their cash position is. Uh, now, if you if you start with that today and you say, well, what's my cash position today? And you say, well, what is it going to look like uh, uh, over the next uh, 10 to 12 to 13 weeks? Uh, in, in today's world, uh, you probably couldn't tell them what it was going to look like 10 minutes from now or a day and a half from now. So what I would do, okay, uh, uh, and I discussed this in great detail with Joe this morning, and Joe can chip in, in any time you want here, Joe, uh, but as a, as a practical matter, I would have uh, sit down with a client and say, let's, let's develop a 13-week normalized cash flow. Let's just imagine that the um, coronavirus issues were not here. What would you expect over the next month or two for your cash flow to be to look like? What would the inflows look like? What could you reasonably expect? What would your outflows look like, whether it be payroll or uh, expenses, rent, whatever, whatever it is you'd want to do? And I'd put that together. And then what I would do is I would then analyze the inflows and say, okay, given the situation that we're in, What's likely to happen or what could happen with these inflows and come up with a, 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 uh, a, a bad plan, a middle plan, a good plan, uh, and, and just try to understand what your inflows are and then lay on top of that the outflows and obviously there'll be a shortfall and say, okay, then what would the shortfall, what could we do about the shortfall? What are things that we absolutely have to take care of today and what could we put off until tomorrow? Uh, and 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 then come up with what the, the 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 nexus is, what the problem is, and then figure out how to deal with that. Whether that's go back to your lenders, whether that's figure out how to anticipate receivables, uh, talk to your vendors, try and do whatever it is you have to do. But the first thing, uh, whether it, it you may have to think about layoffs, you may have to think about about um, uh, uh, temporary temporary salary cuts. Uh, and so forth. Um, but essentially, as an overall plan, that's what I would look at today. Yeah, and, and Joe, uh, you, you and I had a conversation this morning about something which was really about, you know, the new normal. I mean, uh, I think a conversation you had with, with one client uh, was, you know, I, I can't do that. That's not what we do. That's not how we operate. That's not in our contract. That's not, um, they don't expect that of us. And I think in this kind of a situation, you have to work with your vendors. You have to work with, or, or with your, with your clients. You have to, you know, you have to massage situations, correct? Yeah. I think that, uh, there's, there's a couple of things picking up on what you've suggested and what Jeff suggested. There's a couple of things I would uh, expect companies to do immediately if they haven't done it already that are very important. One, 
is make sure that anybody that is mission critical and maybe beyond mission critical um, can work from home if they have to. Get your IT guys out there. Make sure people can get access to the information they're going to need if they're working remotely. Um, and make sure there's a conference call line or whatever uh, that people can that you can call a conference call and get get into and make sure people have a chance to socialize things that they're seeing and, and whatnot. But make sure people can get access to the information they need to get access remotely, if at all possible. Um, I think that's very important. Second, um, before, if, you know, in some areas of the country, people have started to work from home already. In some areas of the country, people are still working um, in the offices where you, where people still are in the office workplace and still have access to one another. One of the other things I would do is take some time and cross-train people. So if, heaven forbid, the lady that's in charge of all the banking or the gentleman that's in charge of all the banking um, is ill and hospitalized uh, because of this situation, there's somebody else that can fill in and do that. You, you don't want to go one person deep on any, again, mission-critical situation. You need to cross-train people. You need to have people be able to work from home. To Morty's point, um, you, you need to think a little bit outside the box. Um, you know, for, for instance, um, the, the, the major big box retailers. Um, you know, in my neighborhood, we have a Sam's Club, we have a Walmart. They're doing very well. I mean, lines out the door with people trying to stock up on things. Um, and I would predict in one of my clients is a vendor to those uh, type of places. Um, you know, you're liable to see if you're in you're, if you're in the fortunate situation, if any company can consider themselves fortunate in these times, um, where those are your customers and they're buying critical uh, supplies. Um, in my case, it's uh, some generic over-the-counter drugs that people are badly in need of. Um, I've gone back to the big box stores and I've begun to talk to them about. Listen, you know, I I know I'm supposed to keep safety stock, but we've We've bled through that in these times, uh, you know, in no time. Um, so, guys, if you want the product, you need to step up. You need to either maybe give me some payments in advance, uh, which will net against uh, the invoice when we ship. Um, conversations you'd never think of having um, with your customers uh, under normal circumstances. Um, but I think um, the good news is you've got folks that are um, – you know, not necessarily the best of friends or the most cooperative uh, are now in a situation where everybody realizes they have to do what they can. Um, and, uh, you know, I've had some situations in the past with retailers where I was in financial difficulties. I was able to go to them and say, look, I need some prepayments here to see me through. Um, and assuming that retailer is in a situation where their business isn't completely shut down, um, I think people may find them more willing to listen than they would have been in the past. So, Billy, on, under the heading of cash management, uh, I'm sure there are many CFOs and CEOs looking in their desk drawer to see how much cash is left and what's going to come through their 13-week cash flow and realizing that they may need to tap into equity markets or uh, obviously the debt markets, et cetera. Um, and, and probably they, they may think to themselves, well, I, that's not going to happen. Everything must have dried up. Um, uh, is that correct or, or is there a solution? So... It's interesting. When you think about the macro, and I look back, I was working in 1987's crash. I 
um, think about kind of how the markets reacted around 9-11, the 08-09 period. I believe at some point the market, and let's use the Dow as a benchmark, needs to find a level ground. Once it does and it creates its new normal, then I think people can start to make investment decisions. Right now, it's very hard because you just are still kind of moving through it. A comment Jeff made that I thought was very interesting, how things have moved at such a quick pace. To be a bit of an optimist, I do think that part of technology and how information flows and how it impacts financial markets We've seen such a swift move in one direction. At some point, we will see some swiftness the other direction back. What I believe the market is looking for is two things. One, from the federal government, real solutions. Not ideas of the day, but you know, solutions that will provide, particularly employers, liquidity, and runway. I think the other, what I think the market will be very excited about, which should come at some point, is when it appears that uh, the United States has seen kind of the worst, when the number of new cases starts to decline. That could be a couple of weeks out, but that will definitely be a rally moment. To your core question, Morty, I think that there are definitely pockets of capital waiting and ready. We were in two conversations yesterday, one with a financial group that's more kind of recession-oriented, so they're kind of prepared for this, and one with a strategic who is in a good balance sheet liquidity position, trying to see where there's opportunity. Not vulture-like, but just opportunity. Companies have always wanted a certain strategic position. So I think there are pockets of capital. I think that capital will be available to viable, profitable businesses, companies that continue to have a reason to exist. Those are the ones that kind of people can believe in. But what I think will be interesting, and it's very common in the 0809 period, I think it will be very different. Are buyer and seller expectations aligned? In 08 and 09, buyers thought they could get everything 30, 40% off and sellers weren't willing to change. Yeah. But that was when they felt they had made it through. Here, I think it'll be very different. I think buyer and seller will come together much faster. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Now, what do you think, Billy, about the plumbing of direct-to-consumer that's been built so aggressively by every brand and every retailer over the past uh, decade. Um, do you think that a lot of this demand, uh, admittedly the demand will have diminished because everyone's stuck at home, uh, but ultimately some classifications of goods will still uh, be, be, be purchased. Um, do you see a, a big shift onto, onto online? Uh, do you see you know, beauty or some other category as being a able to maybe, you know, stem some of the of the bleeding? So it's a great question, Morty. You and I actually, I think on a prior podcast, talked about changing distribution lanes. It's a moment like this where that matters. Joe was talking about vendors to places that are clearly still open. Walmart, Costco, grocery, drugs. But clearly, if 
you're a business that is 100% department store or specialty store driven today, you may not see much revenue unless you're an online partner with them. Digital brands, this could have be a moment for them. Not only you know, are people, I think the, the, the balance is going to be people have a lot of time staring at a lot of screens, but they're also going to judge where they want to spend precious dollars from their own consumption, not knowing their economic, individual economic future. And I think it will be a huge moment for online opportunities. I think that um, as part of that, what we are hearing is, and, and I, I've seen it mostly in beauty this week, beauty brands that are selling a product the consumer knows she needs, they can get it online and they're comfortable buying it. The truly, truly discretionary, particularly apparel items, those can be deferred. But that was happening before Corona. We were seeing that. So to your question, I think it very much could be an opportune online moment. The third comment I'd, and last comment I'd make here, because people will have more time and eyeballs will be on screens more than ever, I think brands need to continue to create content, talking about their product, explaining you know, what, what's behind them, how the products can be used, why now is a moment. Yeah, product marketing. I think the customer is, is, is going to look for that content pretty aggressively. Yeah, no, I, I agree with that. All, all very good points. Um, Joe and Jeff, um, talk a little bit about the optimization funnel. We talk a, a lot about it at Traub, um, the notion that any business is a funnel with inputs coming in through the top and trying to drive profit through the bottom. Um, maybe Jeff kick off on that and, and you and Joe talk a little bit about um, how to think about the funnel in this kind of environment. Okay, uh, happy to do that. Um, I, to try to simplify this, because it's really not you know rocket science, imagine that a business, any business, I don't care what industry, I don't care what business it is, if you imagine that looks like a funnel, and at the mouth of the funnel, all of the stuff happens, all of the actionable items, the, the, the telephone calls, the invoices, the, 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 the purchase orders, the complaints, everything that happens in a company from the time you open up the door to the time you close the door comes in the top of that funnel. At the neck of the funnel are your policies and your procedures and your systems and everything that you've got aligned in order to process all the stuff that's coming in. Uh, and in your organization structure, how you're structured to deal with that. And then the, the stem of the funnel are the people that work in the company uh, that process all these transactions. And then out the bottom, hopefully, it comes a, a successful outcome from a company. Now, what happens, notwithstanding, uh, we're really not talking about, about coronavirus times. In regular times, businesses change every single day. And, but what happens over time is as businesses evolve and as circumstances in the market uh, change or new products come about or a company is experiencing a downturn, the kind of transactions and the volume of transactions and, and activity that go, particularly growth companies that go in the, in the top, uh, uh, are, are, are significantly greater than what initially was anticipated. And that neck of the funnel becomes a bottleneck. 
where your policies, procedures, and the way that you, and your systems and your your IT, uh, the way that you process all of that stuff is a bottleneck. So what do companies do? They add people. If you imagine the stem just got a lot longer, they add people to process these transactions, and the people essentially lean up and pull the items down through the policies and procedures. As a practical matter, every so often a company has to look at itself uh, and objectively look at what's happening as compared to what used to happen, and they need to to amend or review or revise the policies, procedures, organization structure, uh, IT uh, uh, to handle the, the current transactions. And then guess what? The number of people... Uh, that are below below the line uh, could either be the wrong kind of people or too many people. So I look at a company uh, when I get in there and I say, every one of these things is a funnel. I need to understand what's going on here and through each of these stages so that we can then recommend a way to deal with it. Jeffrey, it's Joe. I mean, you, you raise an excellent point in that, you know, the review of those policies and procedures um, on a regular basis is very important. Given the situation we're heading into, it becomes even more important because, frankly, um, as you mentioned, that a solution, not necessarily a good solution to dealing with a with changing uh, order volume or transaction volume is to add people, to throw people at the problem. Um, I don't think companies are going to have the luxury of doing that Um in the near future, um, you know, skilled people are either, you know, sheltering in place, um, already have a decent job, um, and hopefully still have a decent job. So the, the ability to throw people at a problem, I think, is somewhat diminished. Um, and that's going to make kind of the efficient policy and procedure review process all the more uh, important for companies. And uh, Jeff, you mentioned that the the top end of the funnel can change, uh, you know, on a moment's notice. Uh, you know, I, I think a good example in this situation might be again. I'll go back to uh, the, the mass market retailers, which is an area I know pretty well. Um, I've got a bunch of. I know there are a bunch of companies out there that supply those businesses um, that have contracts with those businesses that allow those companies um, to um, charge them back if they're late delivery, charge them back if they short ship them, charge them back um, if they ship things differently than they were asked to do. Um, I suspect that, you know, we may see for a lot of companies the volume of chargebacks um, go up uh, in the near future as companies commit things that are kind of uh, against policy or, or you know, there's a new person at the retailer yeah. processing those things. Mm-hmm. Um, those can be a substantial solution uh, to sales and earnings. So it's something that really has to be addressed and not 90 days from now. Uh, those chargebacks need to be addressed, you know, immediately when they come in. Yeah, absolutely. And so bef- before before we get to, I want to talk to, to Billy about financial restructuring, not just operational restructuring. But before I do that, um, to you two, you know, it, we always talk very much about sort of cross-functional expertise. This podcast has dealt with it, I think, probably in 80% of the instances that I've spoken to people. But also at Traub, the idea that we are, you know, linking all the people within the C-suite of a company so that everyone's sort of marching to the same drumbeat, that we are effectively the catalyst for a cross-functional 
team. Um, but then I also reconcile that with things that you guys have told me in the past, that when you're reorganizing a company, you kind of need to be a dictator and you need to come at it with a one person's approach and take no prisoners. Um, does that, uh, how do you reconcile those two things, those two approaches today? and I'm aging myself now, but one of the first turnaround guys ever was a gentleman by the name of Sandy Sigaloff. Uh, and he was interviewed one day on television, and uh, he's, his uh, uh, methodology was to walk into a company, immediately fire everybody, uh, and put in his own team. And somebody asked him one day, aren't you throwing some good people out, you know, the baby with the bathwater? Uh, and he said, uh, you're absolutely right. I'm doing that every single day. But in a crisis situation, in a turnaround, you don't have time to negotiate. You're not obviously recommending firing everybody, but you're recommending maybe uh, that it is very important that uh, the chief executive be incredibly strong-willed, potentially, in this environment. That's exactly right. I'm certainly not advocating firing everybody, but what I am saying is that you you need to have a very strong leader uh, whose objective and whose, whose sole purpose is to uh, uh, rectify the company. Another you know policy that people ought to keep in mind in these situations where you know downsizing may be a strategy or a tactic that's going to be used uh, in the short term is. Um, Human nature says that when I when I cut payroll within my organization, which is always tough to do, um, for those that remain, they find it very consoling to say, "Okay, we made the reductions. This is over now." Um, that's dangerous because you never really know when it's over. Um, so you know, if you have to let some folks go, let them go, but resist the urge to say. There are going to be no more. If there are no more, people will will realize that. Uh, but to tell people there are going to be no more and then uh, two months later have to fire another five people has a really, really debilitating uh, impact on morale. Got it. So moving to financial uh, restructuring, uh, Billy, what, what, do you, what do you think about um, the different uh, tricks and, and tools up people's sleeves today? So I think that a couple of the themes have already been mentioned, but to reemphasize, definitely cash management, you know, making sure you know how long that cash lasts, the runway. Jeff talked about that. I do think it was Jeff who referred to looking at your partner relationships, vendors, retailers. It's no different on the financial side. Your balance sheet, who, your lenders, your landlords. Um, other kind of capital partners, again, they probably all have a better vested interest in your surviving, in your long-term success. So a little bit of pain everywhere is better than a lot of pain. I, um, I, I think that historically, what the bankruptcy court process has afforded weak companies is the chance if they have too much debt, if they have stores that are under bad leases, if they have employee or overhead cost structure issues. I think we've seen for several years, but especially now, all of those parties are going to be as accommodating as they would be without a bankruptcy than with a bankruptcy. 
said another way, we believe you can achieve nearly all the benefits, the financial benefits through a bankruptcy without having to go there. I couldn't agree more, though. Could, could not be, they need to be accommodating because they've got no replacement tenant. I think that on the overhead, a little bit what Joe was just saying, if you need to cut 20%, you know, it's better than in bankruptcy at all going away. Teams will understand that. Similarly with the lenders, if that's giving you more time or more liquidity, we were selling a distressed business earlier uh, this year, and it was fascinating. The lender in this case nearly doubled their exposure. They lent twice an equal amount as they already had lent to give the, the company and us more time to complete the sale because their alternative in a liquidation was getting literally pennies on the dollar. So they were putting more money in to save the earlier money. So I guess my theme there really is on these financial restructurings is always looking for ways to buy more time. A term we use often is extend the runway. A plane landing needs a long runway. But I think, and this is, Morty, where I think um, there's an element that most operational and financial restructuring advisors forget but I know the four of us often think about, you have to extend the runway to something. It has to have a vision and a strategy for the company when this is done. I don't believe there's anyone, and, and look at China. Clearly, there is going to be the ability for America to get ahead of this problem. How long? No one knows. But the problem will end. And I think very often companies are forgetting they need to work with advisory partners to lay out that strategy, that vision. Because when you go to your landlord or your lender or your vendor, they need to see what you look like on the other side. That, to me, is a big theme that's being forgotten. Yeah, and Bill, if I, if I may, um, you know... Uh, what we bring to the party, you, 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 what you do, and we, what we do, is objectivity. We, we, we try to look at this thing as class, as, as, as clinically as possible with objectivity. There's a reason, for example, a, a doctor doesn't perform surgery on himself or on his kids. You have to be, you have to look at this thing objectively. And many times, companies try to do it themselves, and they just can't do it. And and if you need help from your lenders, uh, the best advice I could ever give anybody is tell them the truth and tell them the, the whole story clearly and to the point. Don't hide it from them because the more the, the, you take them in as your partner, the more you're likely to get co uh, cooperation. And particularly in times like this, I can imagine that next week or the week after, you know, the people at the lenders, uh, particularly in the middle market, entrepreneurially driven companies are going to be inundated with requests for help 
from their from their clients and their customers. The clients and the customers that have thought through the 13-week cash flow, the, the, the taken taken a look and a and a, and a and a knife to what the in, what the inflows are likely to be, figured out a way as to how to manage the outflows of money. Goes to the banker and say, "This is what I've thought this thing through. This is the help that I need." That company, that client, is likely to get the, the assistance. Uh, so the, I cannot stress enough the objectivity that 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 folks like us bring to the party. Yeah, well, that is um, that is obviously important. So what I think I'll do, uh, we've we've done about half an hour. I will try and summarize what we've just talked about so that we have sort of a punch list for people. Um, going slowly from the top, um, don't panic. Don't overreact. Don't shoot from the hip in this kind of a situation. You got to do some planning. You got to sit down with a piece of paper. Watch your cash position. You need to do your 13 week cash flow inflows and outflows and do it first from the position of what it would have been like without the coronavirus pandemic and crisis. You know, and then make sure the mission critical people are at home. Make sure you do daily conference calls. Get people remote access. Otherwise, they won't be able to do their work. You got to cross train people to have um, to make sure that if someone is ill that someone else can do their job think outside the box you know uh, there there are conversations that you would not necessarily ever have in normal times that you are now able to have with all manner of of of, of partners from landlords to um, even retailers on dating and um, don't communicate to employees uh, things that they you know, things that you can't deliver on. Uh, don't make promises that you may have to break. Um, and then don't hide the truth uh, from your from your various partners. Be completely open book with everybody. And then, um, you know, do everything you can to, as Billy says, extend the runway to something. Um, and I think that is um, really the the, the, the best uh, that every, that everyone can hope for. And I think with the right planning and the right organization, with the right help from our government, and a lot of cooperation within the industry, um, I know that we can all get through this together. So the sum total of everything I just said is if you organize yourself properly, the outcome of that will be to buy you the time for your advisors and your banks and your investment banks to be able to get you a financial solution to get you to the other side of this. So thank you to my friends and colleagues on this phone. You guys are truly incredible people. And thanks for your words of wisdom. I'm sure they'll be very well received by everybody. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having us. Bye, guys. Thank you for having us. Thank you. Bye-bye. If you want to learn a little bit more about Traub, you can go to traub.io, where you'll learn a lot about everything that we do. If you're enjoying the safari, please do share it with your friends and colleagues within the industry. And please also don't forget to subscribe and like it. Until next time.